0: Difficulty is easy to, easier, not easy, but easier to walk through when you know it's part of the plan. Right? It's kind of like, if you think about home renovation, you know, you press into difficulty when you know it's part of the path to a good outcome. So, you know, if you come home, you, you, know, you, you know you've entrusted this work to others or maybe you're a wife and have trusted it to your husband and you come home and you see everything ripped out of the kitchen, appliances gone, nothing but studs in, in the kitchen, you're not freaked out by that because you have expected that because you know the good you're pressing towards and the process to that good includes you walking through difficulty without some cabinets and things that are convenient for us these days. But imagine you know nothing about that and you just come home and you open the door and your kitchen is destroyed and all your appliances are gone. You're probably not going to be in the same frame of mind. You're probably going to freak out a little bit. What is going on? Where did my stuff go? But when we know pain is part of the plan, when we know difficulty is part of the plan and it's taking us to a good place, it's easier to walk through it in faith. We walk through it In comfort, not really comfort, but peace, more peace of heart. Because we know it's part of the process. See, the apostles have encountered difficulty. They're really they're encountering resistance that Jesus promised would come. They've seen great success for the Pentecost sermon and thousands converted, and then the healing of the lame beggar, and thousands more converted, and then suddenly they're arrested. They're in jail. They're before the Jewish high court. They are threatened to stop preaching this gospel. And these are the same people that are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. So it is a serious threat, but it's one they've been told to expect and their response to that threat is prayer and continued boldness. So we see them gathered together. Peter and John, they've been released. They're gathered together with the church. They're gathered reporting the threat and they're gathered in prayer. And as I studied this prayer and was refreshed in this prayer, I just, I don't know, things became clearer uh, as to their response to the threat and things that will be helpful for us because what they're praying for and asking for is boldness. And I think you see things that help in that boldness in their prayer right with their theology and then the encouragement to pray and then God of course God's answer to prayer but they're together they know that pain is a this pain this resistance is according to the plan of God and we'll see that in in their prayer they're crying out to the Lord for continued boldness to stay faithful and God grants their request so confident prayer in response to trouble Was part of the plan and the means or the path they walk through in order to get the answer. So in this prayer, we see that gospel, very simply, gospel boldness, boldness with the gospel, is fueled by sound theology and given through prayer. Gospel boldness is fueled by sound theology and given through prayer. Look quickly at the theological foundation of boldness and look at the words as they begin to pray. Look what they say. And probably one is praying and the others are praying along with. But they lift up their voices. They are praying together and, uh, after reporting the threats. And it says this in verse 24. Sovereign Lord... You who are God, there's a word there, despotes, which means one who has supreme power and authority. The Sovereign Lord. He is the one on the throne, in control, like we saw in Psalm 47. God is God of all the earth and He rules and reigns over all of the earth. He is the Sovereign Lord who is in control. None of this struggle is outside of His plan. It's not chaotic. It's not as though it wasn't they weren't warned about it and something strange is happening. The very first thing they say is, Sovereign Lord. That note of submission. That note of peace in God's control and in God's sovereignty. Well, why is He the Sovereign Lord? Because He's Creator. He's the Creator. It says, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you get past that one sentence, you have no problem with anything else in the Bible. If He can speak the universe into existence, what can't He do? But God created the universe, and it's His universe, and He reigns over the universe, and He is accomplishing His purpose in the universe, and none can stay His hand. None can stop Him from fulfilling His promise. He created you. He's giving you life and breath right now. Giving you far better than you deserve. You are completely and totally dependent upon Him and yet He is such a good and merciful and gracious and loving Creator God. This is His world. There is a King and it's not you. And His plan includes pain sometimes. And it will test us. But notice that theology underlying their response and underlying, they start with God's sovereignty. They, they, they're walking through and rehearsing the fact that He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth and that His Word is inspired. All Scripture is inspired and profitable. Right? Look what they say. They, look where they're going in their prayer. It says this, after talking about the Sovereign Lord who created everything and therefore reigns over everything. It says in verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work in and through David to give them the Scripture that they're going to quote. And all of Scripture, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, breathed out, literally, breathed out by God. A product of His Spirit, working through sinful men, restraining the effects of sin, so that the product is the inspired Word of God. They said, who spoke. David spoke, but it was by the power and enablement of the Spirit. So look at there, they're leaning on the theology that they know about God, that they have learned from the study of the Word of God. It's giving them comfort. And they're saying to themselves and to those around, and just remembering that this is all according to plan, revealed in the Word of God. And they quote Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Look at this. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let me read the rest of that to you. Psalms 2. My fumble fingers are having trouble, but here we go. Now, listen to this in Psalm 2. David wrote this psalm. And to and through David all the way to Jesus. Jesus being the ultimate fulfillment. The king set on the hill as we'll see. we we'll go back to Acts 4. But Psalm 2 says this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ saying, now this is man, sinful man's response to God apart from His grace. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. Let us be out from under His reign. Let us do as we will. And God is intimidated by that. If you're looking at your Bible, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs and holds them in derision. <laughs> Who are these puny? The, the gall of. He's not intimidated. And it says, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Speaking of the resurrection of Hebrews, all right? You go read that. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the end of earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge. In Him, and that's what's happening through the t- preaching of the, even the rulers in the trial had opportunity to take refuge in Jesus as Peter and John were preaching Jesus to them. But they've rejected the gospel, and now the church is praying and quoting Psalm two and saying, "This is what Your Word said would happen, and this is what is happening." They're resting in the Word and in God through His Word. Verse twenty-seven in Acts chapter four. For truly, now look at this. Some of some of us don't like the word predestination. I don't really understand that because it's a Bible word. (laughs) You may not like what other people understand that word to mean, but but you if, if you if you reject God's sovereign predestination, you are you are taking the limb out from under the solid rock out from under your feet. If God's not in control. His decree is not the foundation of everything. Look what they said. In response to that and seeing Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of that, not really getting into prophecy and prediction and fulfillment and type and all of that this morning, but you see how they're interpreting it with Christ at the center. Verse 27, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, the Christ and Messiah, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now look at this. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Nothing that happened to Jesus was happenstance. Nothing that happened to Jesus just happened to happen. Nothing was an accident. In, in 223, we've already seen this. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. God, who is Sovereign Lord and Creator and Sustainer of the heavens and the earth and who has given us His inspired Word, told us exactly what has happened. They are quoting and relying on His Word, seeing Jesus as the fulfillment and saying, this has happened. And the rulers and the leaders, they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. When? Before the foundation of the world, God's not reacting, not wondering what we'll do and then reacting. He is the sovereign Lord, creator and sustainer, who is in control and working out all things for His glory in Christ Jesus and the good of His people in Christ Jesus. That word for predestined means to come to a decision beforehand. To decide beforehand. To determine ahead of time. To decide upon ahead of time. To foreordain everything that would come to pass before it happened. God had all of this worked out before creation. Not just the sacrifice of Christ, but the troubles that they were experiencing reported in Acts 4 and the threats. And they're responding to it with good theology coming from the Scriptures. And that applies to... Us as well. It's all according to plan. Isaiah 46, 8 to 10 said this. Now look at this. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for it. now look, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like from like me. Look, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. The only way you can declare the end from the beginning is to have it all mapped out. God's not just a fortune teller. He's not just predicting the future. He's not just looking to see what is going to happen. He is the sovereign Lord. Who has decreed from before the, the foundation of the world to work out his glory in Christ. And that plan will sometimes include the struggle and suffering of his people, as we see in Acts chapter 4. I've quoted this to you before, but I believe it's a good summary of what the Bible teaches. Uh, Westminster Confession 3.1. This is not just the confession stating this it's being drawn from the teaching of scripture you see it in the text we're studying in Isaiah, in Ephesians and in a ton of other places but it says this God from all eternity that means before creation eternity past did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatever, whatsoever comes to pass in eternity past, God ordained whatsoever comes to pass. He declared the end from the beginning. He set in motion His purpose and He is accomplishing His purpose. And he, there, as R.C. Sproul would say, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. If there was... One maverick molecule could throw off the entire plan. He is sovereign Lord. Remember, they said it up front. He is creator who has said in his word what he will do and is doing it. In Jesus' crucifixion, they only did what his hand and his plan had predestined to take place so the people themselves are not responsible for their sin against God and against Christ. Right? Right? That's where we go in our rationalistic mindset. If God has foreordained everything, then we're just robots. We have no free will, no free choice. Well, in your little mind, that's true maybe. See, we can't fully comprehend God and His ways. But in God, God... Can be completely sovereign, and yet we, and not say libertarian free will, but we can be free to make decisions, and we're responsible for those decisions, and they are real decisions. Look at what it says. It makes them, this is true Reformed theology. That means it's too biblical theology. Reformation simply recaptured what the early church taught, not something different. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. And they're taking comfort in that in Acts 4. Next, yet. Now there's some qualifications here. Yet He ordered all things in such a way that He is not the author of sin. You know, if God foreordained all things and 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 my sin, you know, he foreordained my sin, then then I didn't really choose that and he's responsible for my see that's the thing we mess we just go running off the rails cuz we think we can figure everything out. Yet in such a way that he is not the author of sin. He never tempts anyone with sin. He's not responsible for sin. James 1 tells us that. God is sovereignly foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, yet without being the author of sin. It didn't come from Him. Now look at this. Nor does He force His creatures to act act against their wills. or He doesn't violate the will of the creature. Next. Neither is liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. So, He doesn't violate anybody's will. He's not responsible for their sin. Yet, He is sovereign and in control of everything, declaring the end from the beginning. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is King. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in a way, though, that we remain responsible. We act. We make free choices. The leaders who crucified Christ were choosing according to their greatest desire in the moment. And God is able to sinfully use our real and sinful choices to accomplish His holy purposes. But don't we still have to choose Christ? Yes. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him, right? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, He calls us, He commands us to repent and trust Christ. And it's not a fruitless command. He also says in Ephesians 1.4 that He chose us before the foundation of the world. God is in control. Why are you hammering this? I am fighting for your peace. Because to the extent that you remove God from control in your mind, you don't really remove Him from control. You forfeit peace in that area. People sin against us and they hurt us and they're responsible for that and they will answer for that. Judas was not let off the hook because God foreordained everything before the foundation of the world. It would have been better for him if he was never born, Jesus said. But God is sovereign. He is in control. He is ruling over the creation that He has created. And He's bringing about His glory in Christ Jesus. And this is the theology that was comforting them and strengthening them and guiding them as they entered into prayer in response to the struggles in their life. And I'm telling you, in response to the struggles in your life and the hardship that you face, you need. This sovereign God, who is the real one, by the way, you need to submit to his sovereignty, his rule, his reign, the truth of his word and find comfort in him, because apart from God being God and apart from God being in control, only irrationality can find peace in that. They were resting in a good theology, in a biblical theology that shows that God is in control and that everything is happening according to His plan and His word. And He is using them to accomplish His purpose so they are comforted and they are encouraged by Scripture and they're praying into it, not fighting against it. That is an awesome, compact, theologically rich prayer and we've just gone through half of it. But you see, like with an iceberg, you only see the tip sticking out of the water, but there's this mass underneath the water. Like you see the tip of their theology sticking out of the top, but underneath it is this vast, rich, biblical theology about who God is. Their theology is sustaining and comforting them in the midst of their trial. And it will you too. That's why you have to be in the Word daily, learning, growing, knowing God so that when the trial hits, you have that to sustain and guide you. Because those around you are going to hurt you sometimes. Those around you are going to struggle. Maybe even try to blame it on you. You'll be under threat sometimes if you're going to live faithful with Jesus. And this God, the true and living God, needs to be the one you know and rest in. Well, that's just an introduction to the true biblical, if you want to call it reformed theology, biblical theology that is undergirding them in their moment of trial. They know who their God is. They know what He's promised to do. They know that this is His Word and they are running to it and resting there. And so they pray into it. Now, it transitions. Look at the necessity of prayer for boldness. It transitions here in 29. This is who You are, God, and this is what You've done, and this is what we see, how Your Word is coming to pass, and it comforts us. So now, Lord, look upon their threats. We're going to entrust them to You. You you deal with them. Look upon their threats and grant to Your service servants, bond servants, to continue to speak Your Word. With all boldness. To continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're saying, grant us continued boldness. That's what's gotten them in trouble. And they're praying for continuance in gospel faithfulness in spite of the trouble. Because they're not looking to their circumstances for their happiness. They're looking to God and His truth and His faithfulness. And I so need to be reminded of that. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Notice one thing. Notice first of all, gospel boldness is not a natural ability. Holy Spirit, gospel boldness is not a natural ability. Some of us are more brash than others. But apart from the Spirit of God at working in and through us, we will not be bold to step up and speak for Jesus. Not truthfully. It's an auto-natural ability. They're praying for it. They're seeing God as the source of it and they're praying for a continuance of it. God. God. Grant us to continue to speak with boldness. And, and, and they're trusting him to continue to be at work. The apostles are, are at, he's working through the apostles, doing many mighty works, which are true signs of an apostle. We've talked about in the earlier messages. Um, But he says this, they're praying, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. God was testifying alongside of these apostles that they were true representatives of Christ and some of the deeds that they were were able to do by his grace were, were proving that. Not everybody was running around performing miracles and We've talked about that. Go back and listen to Acts 2 sermon and, and some of the others and you'll, you'll see that. So God, continue to grant us boldness. Continue to confirm the Gospel. Help us to continue to speak Your Word. So it's not a natural ability. It's a supernatural enablement. And look what happens. Three things happen in verse 31. When they had prayed, that God's still nursing the early church along. right? When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken the place in which they were gathered together was shaken just god has just been gracious to give a confirmation i'll tell you a funny story we had first come to faith in christ and and cindy and I were in the living room praying together and all of a sudden i heard cindy I said, what? I couldn't understand her. And I'm like, she's speaking in tongues. What she was saying was the washing machine must be spinning. Because as we were praying, the place where we were praying was shaking. And the window was shaking. And the washing machine we had at the time would walk out the door if you didn't nail it down. That's just a funny story about the place shaking. They, they, they shook the place. The place where they prayed was shaking. And they were all filled with the Spirit. Now look at the outflow of filling with the Spirit here. Go read Acts 2. They were filled with the Spirit. We The Spirit permanently indwells us when we come to faith in Jesus. And then it's our responsibility to walk in dependence upon His power in submission to God. And, and God empowers us by His Spirit. So filling is a repeated thing. See, in Ephesians, we're under the responsibility to be filled with the Spirit. Not that the Spirit leaves and comes back, but He empowers and controls us to produce His fruit in our lives. So they're filled again, you could say. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the outflow of that was continued to speak the Word with all boldness. They prayed and their prayer was answered and flowing out of that prayer in the spite of difficulty, in spite of threat, they continued to speak the Gospel Word with all boldness and we'll see the church continue to grow as they move on. So through the means of prayer, they, they were strengthened and filled and enabled to continue to speak the Word of God. With boldness, See, they were confident that it was God's will for them to be bold and speak the, speak the word. He commanded them, go into all the world. Us too, through them, go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. You can't do that without boldness. So they were confident it was God's will. They were rehearsing who He was and praying into their difficulty and seeing God answer and give them what they had asked for. John says this in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This was mean to pray in Jesus' name, by the way. Pray in line with His authority in person. Pray in line with His word. Doesn't just mean make stuff up and He'll give it to you. But in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have before Him that if we ask anything, He hears us. Oh, wait. That if we ask anything according to His will, he hears us notice what's primary and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that that let me start that over and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the request we'd ask for him okay so in order to pray with confidence we have to be confident our prayer is according to his will where do we learn his will his word so they were praying confidently, knowing that boldness would be given to them because he had promised it. You will be, in chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be witnesses to all nations. I cannot bind God to giving me whatever I want. But when I pray in line with his will, that's why I can pray for him to sanctify me, to sanctify you, and know it, 100% it's his will. That's His timing, His way, and all of those things. They knew it was His will for them to be bold. They knew that they didn't have it in and of themselves. They knew they were dependent. They were resting in the truth of God's Word about who their God was and praying into it. And God used prayer as a means of grace to deliver what He had promised. What is a means of grace? I'll give you a definition and then hopefully make it easier. A means of grace is an objective instrument given to the church by which the Holy Spirit communicates the benefits of Christ. The means of grace: Word, sacraments, ordinances—whichever word you prefer, really, not that big deal. Lord's Supper, baptism, coming out of the words—all word, word, ministry, prayer. Fellowship, a lot of different lists. But it's the avenues or means that God has determined to work through to communicate to you the benefits of Christ. Everything Christ has purchased for you comes through the Spirit applying to you the means of grace, not just in a vacuum. That's why I've told you before, the Spirit never works apart from the Word of God. The Word of God is the primary means of grace in your life. You need to hear it preached and taught, and you need to read it and study it and memorize it and... You need this in your heart. So they were answered because they prayed and prayer is a means of grace, a a thing through which God works to communicate the benefits of Christ to His people. They were not blessed on the basis of their prayer, but through their prayer on the basis of Christ. There's a huge difference in the two. We're not earning it, we're receiving it. It is grace, unmerited and undeserved favor, secured, purchased, paid for by Christ, given to us through God's means of grace. So it's not because you pray, it's not on the basis of your prayer. What do I mean by that? It's not because of how long you pray, or what form you pray, or how often you pray, or what time you pray. But it's through prayer which is given to us as a means of grace through which God gives to us the benefits of Christ in accord with His Word. But it's not on the basis of you and your prayer. It's on the basis of Christ. I don't know if an illustration will help, but think of a lamp. Think of a lamp. What lights the lamp in your home? Electricity is what lights the lamp. The cord and the plug doesn't light the lamp. Right? And you can't stick the bulb in your mouth and it light up like Uncle Fester either, if you remember that show. Adam's family. The cord is a means through which the electricity flows that lights the lamp. The cord is the means. The avenue, the channel through which the electricity flows. But it's the electricity that lights the lamp. It's the grace of God that produces these results in our lives. But they thro- the grace comes to you in God-ordained means through the word prayer. And on the list to go. But in this case, prayer, through prayer, on the basis of Christ, because Christ has lived for us and provided a perfect righteousness, because Christ has died for us and paid the penalty for our sins, because Christ has been raised for our justification, is reigning, coming again someday, because of Jesus, God graces us. See, the early church had a well-developed understanding of who God is. They had a well-developed theology. And they were able to remember that theology and target it to their current need. And they had a well-developed prayer life so that they were able to pray targeted prayers to their need. They prayed for boldness, knowing it was God's will. And they got it. Boldness, which is a courage in the face of intimidating circumstances. So we see their rich theology. We see their faithful prayer. We see God's faithful answer. Call to me and ask me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Many promises in Scripture that if we pray to God and we pray in line with His will, His Word, we have that for which we have asked. They prayed with great confidence. What about us? Listen to me. One of the things this text challenged me with and I hope it challenges you with is to be growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To be deepening in my understanding of who He is and of His The truth of Him. And so, are you working on that? Are you working on knowing your God through His Word? Did He waste His time giving you a book? Are you in it? Not just cursory reading and forgetting. Is this being by the Spirit through your time in the Word placed in your heart, in context, in right interpretation, with Christ in the center? And the way that you know is you're able to target the theology that you know about God and and the truth and Christ and the Gospel. The way you know you're deepening is you're able to bring to mind an aspect of that theology that applies to your current struggle so that it comforts you and strengthens you in that struggle. Is the truth about God and His Word is the truth about Christ is His Word comforting you in the midst of your struggles? If not, why not? Because the Scripture says that we're to be filled with His Word. To be filled with the Word of Christ. That's a counterpart of being filled with the Spirit because the Spirit works through the Word. How is your theology? It's, theology is not just for pastors and professors and seminaries. Theology just means the study of God. Knowing God, knowing His truth. It is for you, every one of you. Kids, it's for you. Theology is for you. You need to know God. You can't just say theology is not my thing. If theology is not your thing, Jesus is not your thing. Hear me in that. Because as soon as you start trying to tell somebody who Jesus is, you have entered into theology. If you have no interest in Bible study and theology, you need to be worried about the state of your soul. You may have a cultural Christianity, which is not true Christianity at all. Because people, when they're truly converted, one of the first things they experience is a thirst for God's Word and a desire to know Him. Many things trip us up from that. But are you able to target the truth about God to your struggle? See, the threat didn't throw them off. The, the getting arrested and locked up and taken to the Supreme Court and threatened, it didn't throw them off. Why? Because they knew their God. Why? Because they knew Scripture. And they knew the Scripture that applied to their, directly to their situation. So that they were comforted in that and it propelled them into prayer into boldness and witness. Our trials, we can count all joy. Why? Because God's with us for us, not against us. He's with us in the midst of that trial. He promised us trials would come and He's promised to use them to make us more like Jesus. So when trials do come, it's not for us to freak out and run from them is for us to go to God with them and embrace them and be changed and made more like Jesus. That's what you see happening here. God, what I need is less trials. No, what you need is more theology that you apply to your life. You don't need a different circumstance. You need a different heart so that you can walk through that trial with Jesus and not be harmed by it, but be grown by it. Be made more useful by it. Notice they're being made more useful because of the trial they're struggling with. Because God's at work in it. So is your theology well developed so that you can target it to your potential struggles? And, And listen, are you studying joyfully because of God's grace and learning more about Him? We're going to provide tons of opportunities for that. We have one going on right now, Attributes of God at 9:15. Sadly, not many people are taking advantage of that. But we need it. We need to know who God is. So that we can pray according to His will and His word, so that we can not freak out in the trials but be useful in and through them and grow in grace like we see the church doing here. And what about our current topic boldness in witness? If I'm not bold, that means I'm not strong in prayer, specific prayer for boldness. Maybe boldness in witness is not even a desire. If I don't want to talk to others about Jesus, I have a heart problem that needs to be addressed with prayer. Now, you don't have to be a preacher or a missionary or a thing like that unless God's calling you to those things. But each and every one, one of us has a responsibility to be light and salt for Christ. And if I'm weak in witness, that means I'm weak in prayer. I'm not making use of the means of grace and I'm not targeting it. A specific prayer life. They're specific. They're praying for boldness. I mean, we've all been, we all pray these ways. God bless the missionaries and bless my neighbors and bless. How? Why? Specific prayers. Specific prayers. Maturity in prayer so that we target our prayers and target them on the, the most important things. But I may be weak in prayer because I'm weak in grace. See, legalism will never propel you into prayer. Legalism will never, pro- I mean, it'll propel you into a checklist that you just go through. But it'll never propel you into true communion with God through Christ and true joyful obedience to Christ and true joyful bold witness without the gospel. Christ has died to pay the penalty for my sin. What sin? All of them. You mean including my failure to witness? Yes. Receiving His forgiveness and grace. Walking in dependence upon His strength to work in you and through you the boldness to be a light and salt for Christ. Some of us are better at this than others. Some of us are gifted in evangelism. That doesn't mean they're the only people that need to do this. They just help us do it better. There's not a soul in here who ever had a grandkid they didn't want to talk about. But you know, And then the realistic side of that is the devil's not fighting against you to talk about your grandkids. He just soon you talk about your grandkids and forget about Jesus. Spiritual warfare comes when we're out trying to speak the gospel. And God's grace is sufficient for that. Praying to be filled with what Christ purchased for you, the gospel and its benefits. What is the gospel? I deserve condemnation. You deserve condemnation. We all deserve hell. We should be there now. But Christ came to fulfill all righteousness. He obeyed the law in thought, word, and deed. To provide a perfect righteousness for His people. And He died to pay the penalty. Christ on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. He drank that cup dry. He said, it is finished. And He went through the grave and came out the other side and gives salvation as a free gift if you will trust in Him. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation this morning? Christ died, buried, raised. Salvation in Him. Remember that. Remember that every morning. Get up thinking about the gospel and praying into your struggles and asking God to empower you to to, to glorify Him. Don't ask Him to take them all away. I mean, it's okay to pray, but He's not going to take them all away. In this world, you will have trouble, so be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Ask Him primarily to be able to glorify Him through those struggles and to be bold for Him and a witness for Him. Boldness and witness glorifying God if you want to broaden it is given through prayer but boldness and witness is given through prayer for boldness and witness and if we're weak in witness it's because we're weak in prayer that about witnessing and therefore we're weak in watching for him to answer those prayers remember the gospel remember his grace remember his forgiveness in your life let me let me clarify a few things and I'm done nobody expects you to be an apostle to go around performing signs of an apostle. Nobody expects you to be a missionary or a pastor unless God's called you to those things. And he hasn't called you to be an apostle, by the way. They were, they're done. There's a foundation of those, and they're done. There's a little a apostle, which basically is missionary, the way we use the word. But you're, he's called you to be a faithful dad with your kids and your neighbors and your coworkers. and and to be light and salt for Christ in those areas. He's called you to be a faithful mom with your kids and your neighbors and other moms and co-workers if you work. Right? He's called you to be a student. And to be faithful as a student with the gospel in that context. That's hard. Some sitting in here today who graduated from college and remain Christians all the way through. I'm thankful for that. Singles. To be a Christian single and a bold witness. Kids. If you know Jesus, to be a witness with others. You're never too old, never too young. You're never too introverted. Introverts, look at me. I am one. God has a sense of humor. He makes them pastors. But introversion doesn't let you off the hook. Yes, you have to step outside your comfort zone, but it should be your joy to do so because of Christ. And let me make one more clarification for you. Boldness is not the absence of fear or timidity. If you don't have any fear or if you don't have any timidity, no need for boldness. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's walking through the fear to be faithful. So don't expect to have a perfect faith that's never afraid. Just expect God to be able to work in you so that you push through the threat, through the difficulty to be a witness for Him. Boldness is an overcoming of the fear, an overcoming of the timidity to speak and live for Jesus. Uh, I'll show you in Paul, in the Apostle Paul, he was afraid, but he pressed through it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Look at this. It says, And when I, and I When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, that's what the gospel is, with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel. And I was with you. Now look at this. The Apostle Paul, right? Speaking to the Corinthians about when he came with the gospel. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. I relate to that. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. What? The, the power of God is the gospel for salvation. So a simple gospel, and God brought them to faith. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul, even the Apostle Paul says, I was there in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. But the Spirit empowered me to walk through that and to be a faithful Witness to you and God birthed the church there. So we see in this part of Acts and in this prayer, the, the church remembering who their God is. Remembering what His Word is, the very Word of God. Leaning hard upon God, knowing everything is in control. It's all according to plan. This current struggle they're in is according to His plan. He's with them in it, walking through it with them, and producing His glory in His result, which is boldness in their case, in witness. Boldness is not letting the fear stop you. It's not natural but it's in result of being filled with the Spirit through prayer to our faithful Heavenly Father who loves us so. If we're going to be faithful on mission, it's definitely going to bring difficulty into our lives. Not everybody's going to like it. But that's okay. It's all part of the plan. And God has given us everything we need to walk faithfully through the difficulty with joy. Gospel, word, spirit, prayer, taking us home all the way to the new heavens and the new earth where there will be people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language around the throne and where we'll have eternal joy of knowing that Christ has used us in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Count it all joy, this difficulty for Jesus' sake. All your struggles are according to plan. Know your God and run to His throne of grace to find mercy in your time of need and this direct application to find boldness to speak about His resurrection and His gospel. Close with a few words from a hymn we sing sometimes, Take My Life. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Gospel messages. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for giving us this record of how You worked in the early church and how the prayer reveals a deep understanding of who You are. A deep reliance on Your Word as the Word of God. A resting in Your grace and in Your control Of all things. And a prayer to you. That you would work faithfulness. In their lives. And boldness in their lives. So grow us Lord. In knowing you. Grow us in trusting you. Grow us in knowing and trusting your word. And resting in the fact that our God is a sovereign God. Who reigns. Who's in control. Never blaming our sin on you. But resting in your glorious sovereignty and being propelled by a good sound word of theology out on mission for you, to glorify you and enjoy you forever, to be used by you, spread your word and your kingdom around this world. Lord, these things are convicting to us. They're hard for us. Apart from your grace, they're just condemning to us. We're all convicted about our prayer lives. We're all convicted about our witness. We're all convicted about how we grumble through the trials that come through our lives. Grow us in knowing and trusting you. Grow us in knowing and trusting your word. Grow us in stepping out in faith, walking through the fear to glorify you with bold gospel witness. Lord, to save those. If anyone is here who does not know you, Lord, give them ears to hear, eyes to see, new heart. Help them to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Help them to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how the publican pray. Lord, have mercy on us to either come to know you in faith or to grow in walking. With you in faith. And help us to encourage and strengthen one another. Lord, we cannot do these things on our own. So help us to be serious about community life and life together. And encouraging and strengthening one another as we walk through the daily trials of this life. Help us to count them all joy. Because we know our God. We know he's on the throne. We know he's producing something good. And taking his gospel around the world. Lord, we praise you this morning and thank you for loving us first so that we love you now. Strengthen us by your grace and work in us your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.